Hello and welcome. This is Lights Out and away we go with the episode. With the Formula One podcast for fans and by fans. I'm Will and as I look across the digital garage, as always, I'm joined by my co-driver, or should I say my co-host Sam. Hello Sam, how are you? Hello Will, hello again listeners. I'm very well, thank you. Happy Sunday evening. How yes, was your weekend? Yes, uh, I've not had a wedding this weekend, so it's been my weekend off from a wedding. But Huzzah! But I have been doing wedding stuff, so um, it's my brother's wedding next weekend. So I've had my wedding haircut, I've collected my suit, uh, and I've, I'm the best man, so I've been practicing my, my best man speech. So uh, I think we're all there, just need, just need to rehearse it throughout the week, but it's all in the control. Uh, and actually, I find doing a podcast helps you with your public speaking, because you, you know, you've got to practice what you think about what you're going to say and your style. So uh, I feel like my public speaking is it's improving, which is good. Um, yeah, how about you? How was your weekend? Yeah, it's been good, thank you. Yeah, not too bad. My daughter's been a little bit unwell, so we've been sort of semi-managing that over the weekend. Mm. But um, we didn't have loads of plans, so um, yeah, it's just been a quiet one at home. Um, I sent you a fun video, didn't I, of her in the back of a new backpack carrier thing that we've got, uh, which she seems to enjoy. So that was quite nice. Test that out. Seems happy enough in there, so that's been good. Uh, watched a fair bit of Premier League football and rugby over the weekend. None of which was Very that good. great. I mean, obviously my team um, aren't playing till tomorrow anyway, so I don't really care about everybody, <laughs> any, <laughs> other, any other teams really. Um, but it was all right. And then obviously watched the Lionesses unfortunately lose yeah. uh, to Spain this morning. So that was a bit rubbish. Um, but yeah, other than other than all the sport not being fantastic, it's been a pretty good weekend. Uh, obviously but, no F one again. Yeah. Well, at least at least your uh, your team hasn't lost. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Did we can play this weekend? We did. Uh, we beat our local rivals, Bolton, four 0 Absolutely spanked them. So uh, yeah, up the ticks. Um, <laughs> so are you, are you back in? Are you in positive now? Positive, positive points. No, we we've got the highest goal difference, but zero points after our uh, eight point deduction. <laughs> so uh, I feel that's quite good. Yeah. But you know, if we keep carry on like this, we'll we'll definitely be be forced towards the end of the season, and we'll definitely beat uh, Exeter to promotion. Oh, um, I'm sure you will. They're, they are absolutely terrible, from what I hear. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Appalling okay. club. Um, before we get to today's episode, I should tell you, I think your last uh, end of end of episode promotion of the social media has gone down very well because our Instagram followers we gained like fifty followers in a week. This is, this, so <laughs> wow. they, they must have loved the the chat about Oscar Piastri. So uh, yeah, if you're if you're one of our new followers on Instagram, hope you're enjoying the content, uh, or if you've come across our profile recently, hope you're enjoying your first episode for that new episode out which you'll will be this one mm-hmm. um obviously as you said there's no formula one this weekend which is a bit of a shame i, I actually am now starting to miss it and then i know as soon as next weekend happens and it's another max win <laughs> i know well, i will not have missed it at all and it'd be like oh it wasn't yeah, i didn't miss it that much um we we tease this in our last uh episode and we're going to do another series on you know we've got our lights out lights on on sort of high profile people we're going to do an episode now on Yunsung heroes of Formula One. Uh, and we're each going to, each time we do one of these episodes, we're each going to pick an either a person or a role or, you know, across the, across the, the sport. And we're both going to give a bit of, like, nominate them while we think they are unsung heroes. And there's no, like, you know, there's no voting or anything like that. We're just going to do a nice sort of fun thing to sort of shine a light as we are, you know, lights on. We do like to put the light on other people um, on, on different, on, you know, something a bit different. So, Sam, we're going to start with you. Who have you picked to be as your inaugural uh, unsung hero in Formula One? All right. So I look. Yeah, I, d- I gave this some. I did give this some thought. There's, there, are, there is a fair amount to choose from, I think. Um, but the first name that sprang to mind uh, was Charlie Whiting. So I'm, I'm, I'm nominating Charlie Whiting as my unsung hero of Formula One. Um, 
I should say he passed away in 2019, so he's not a current unsung hero. But I think uh, what's happened to the sport since his death probably mm. warrants a discussion about him and his influence on it um, previously, yeah. because it's probably not necessarily gone in the best direction. Um, and I think his loss is a, a big part of that. Um, so yeah, so he died unfortunately in um, in 2019, right before the Melbourne Grand Prix. I don't know if you remember, he was due yeah, to sudden heart attack, wasn't it? Yeah, so he had a pulmonary embolism, so it's a clot in his lung um, oh. that led to a heart attack. But um, yeah, he um, yeah he was due to due to officiate the the Australian Grand Prix and um, yeah passed away the the two, I think it was the two, two days before I think it was before at the end of the practice, um, which is um, very sad at the age of sixty six. But the, so th- there are a few reasons I've picked him, but I'll just start with a bit of a, a kind of pressy about his life, shall I, and then um, yeah. get into some of the reasons why I think he's. Or was so important to the sport, and why his loss has been such a a big one. Um, um, I was going to say, just for our uh, Drive to Survive fans, you know, I don't think Charlie Whiting appears in Drive to Survive, so you might this be a helpful sort of intro of who Charlie White Charlie Whiting is. Yes, so he he is an absolute legend of the sport. I think it's just, he's just one that's not not really talked about, or wasn't really talked about very much at all while he was that legend. I don't think being the bill of unsung hero. It, exactly, I think I think so. Um, so he was raised on a farm in Kent, which is fun um and basically by the age of 12 all he wanted to do was work on cars so he worked on sports cars and all kinds of stuff all through his youth uh and then got involved in formula one in 1977 with the hesketh team so uh, if you remember them but that well you won't remember them because they were in the 70s neither do i for my time sadly <laughs> well very much before mine too james was um, it james hesketh that's right uh, lord, hesketh? Well, no, lord hesketh and james hunt drove for them that's it that's it um, he appears in the, the hunt vs. louder film exactly yes so i mean he, um Charlie Whiting joined Hesketh after the James Hunt uh, kind of period he was there, and um, obviously when he went off to drive for McLaren. Um, but yeah, he he yeah, he started there working as a kind of junior mechanic and engineer, and sort of worked his way up through the through the ranks, and eventually became uh, chief engineer there. And then he moved from Hesketh to Brabham under one Bernie Eccleston, who owned the team. Um, and he basically worked at Brabham pretty much through most of the eighties. And again, he worked his way all the way up to um, to chief engineer, and that's really what he wanted to do. He saw what uh, like chief engineers and others did in the sport for their drivers and to deliver world championships, and that was his dream. And uh, he he lived it he lived it out throughout the eighties. So as chief engineer um, for Brabham in the eighties, he won the world championship with Nelson Piquet twice in nineteen eighty one and nineteen eighty three. Um, and worked with some other really big drivers as well. So he worked with Nicky Lauda while he was there, Ricardo Patrese, wow. uh, and Nelson Piquet as well, who was an absolute character. I feel like there's probably, I don't know if there's a whole episode on Piquet we should do, and maybe Lauda as well, arguably. Um, yeah, but yeah. Piquet was a bit uh, crackers, so the fact that he worked with him is quite fun. Um, and then Bernie Eccleston decided he was selling up uh, at the end of the 80s, 1987. And um, uh, Charlie Whiting moved to the FIA. So he developed all of this like technical knowledge throughout those years working in the sport and decided that uh, it would be best place for him to go to the FIA. And he basically used that knowledge to try and spot cheats <laughs> throughout the sport. <laughs> he became the kind of chief like go-to, go and check the teams are, are doing stuff legally um, and was a very adept at uh, spotting stuff. He was a bit like kind of poacher turned gamekeeper sort of territory. I like that. I like that. Yeah. So, um, so he, he got very good at exploiting rules throughout his time at Brabham um, <laughs> and then to immediately joined the FIA. And I'm sure as soon as it happened, everyone on the grid was like, oh, crap. No, we're not getting away with anything because Charlie moved over to the FIA, <laughs> moved to the dark side. Um, and he served as um, served as their kind of chief technical embed for about, 
about 10 years, about nine, nine or 10 years before taking up a role or taking up the role which he is most famous for, and that's race director. So he became race director in 1997 and chief safety delegate as well. So it's worth, I think it's worth, first of all, just talking about the breadth of what he was responsible for from 1997 onwards until his death. Bearing in mind, he, so I don't think he's ever properly been replaced. And what he has been replaced by is by, it's, it's several people basically yeah, all doing the yeah. same job um, or all doing different bits of the job that Charlie writing did for so many years. Um, but see, so he was responsible for a load of design stuff. So regulations, things like that, making sure the cars were not just legal, but obviously thinking about what future designs look like. And that went, you know, bear in mind, he was in that post for 21 years. So over two decades, he looked after like technical regulations, obviously with help from others, but had a really keen insight uh, into all of that. He looked after circuit safety and was on the panel that looked after deciding what circuits and stuff were, were raced at. And he also looked after driver safety. And then you throw into the mix as well that he was obviously responsible for race direction as well. So he started every race, looked after this, you know, all of the safety procedures and stuff and generally um, made sure everything ran without a hitch. And the reason... I think he's so well. It, one of the best things I think you can probably say about him is that like no one ever had ba- had a bad word to say about him in 21 mm. years in the sport in what in a role that we now both agree is it's a really difficult job. Never mind all the other stuff you're doing, but race director is a really difficult job. Um, and he never really found himself in any kind of position of challenge. I suppose he was so well respected and so well liked throughout the you know, throughout the paddock, um, and never really made mistakes as far as I can remember. I mean. Like bear in mind, you know, I, you know, when he started, I was six, so I don't remember absolutely every single race, but I don't remember many occasions throughout that kind of fifth, let's say that fifteen-year period, the last like fifteen years of his time in that role, where stuff happened and you felt like the race director had made a mistake. It was always yeah. the, you know, there were other things that happened, you know, on on track stuff or the FIA or whatever. But in terms of his role and what he he was responsible for, you never really like you never really noted mistakes and a real feather in his cap as well i think is what he did for safety so he was a massive influence on the safety of the sport so he introduced things like the halo introduced the safe cockpit from the 90s onwards um side impact stuff he introduced the first crash test as well in the late uh late 80s while he was there before he became race director um made a real difference i think there are several drivers that can definitely credit their their health and safety to the kind of definitely. things that yeah charlie whiting managed to do while he was while he was in those various posts but i suppose and and this is kind of speaks to what i i suppose what i value about um stuff you know in terms of how i value things at work but i really um like value how things are done as well as what's done and i think how charlie whiting went about his business is probably the reason he's so sorely missed still today um he was incredibly kind very calm had a really wicked sense of humor hugely well respected none of the drivers ever like spoke back to him but they had a really good working relationship with him like they could talk to him about specific issues of safety and things they had a really open kind of dialogue i think his relationship with the team principals as well like if you look at what the team principals get away with nowadays and what they used to get away with under another race director who may be referenced at some point during this <laughs> podcast <laughs> You just never it just never happened when Charlie White was in charge. And some of the people you're talking about, you're talking about like Ross Braun, Flavio Brutori, John Todd, and even some of the drivers who I've mentioned, you know, a lot of them are crackers and throughout that twenty one years or whatever as race director as well, like <laughs> there are a fair few characters. And for him to have gotten through that entire career and be universally respected and universally liked, I feel is really like speaks to the man. Um and that's why yeah, that's why I've nominated him. I think he's he was irreplaceable, and the sport yeah. have have failed still. I think to replace him, even yeah. now. 
Yeah, well, I think it was very good. I thought it was very comprehensive. Um, and yeah, very well deserving to be our first unsung hero. Um, and I think you're right. I think, you know, his, you know, his death is obviously, and, and you know, and, you know, not being in the sport has been really well, I think really heavily felt because I think definitely in the last three, four years, one of the main criticisms of Formula One is that it's the stewarding and the sort of the race direction is very variable. Whereas I think he was, because it was always him and he was so experienced and he knew the world of Formula One inside and out, he was always very fair. And, you know, people didn't always agree with him, but they respected him. Whereas I think we've seen over time that there's the respect for the stewards from mistakes and decisions they've made has it been eroded. And so he, you know, he really commanded that across their thing as well. And, he, and on the safety point as well, you know, the, you know, the end of the nineties, well, mid nineties and sort of going into two thousands, you know, that, that was sort of the end of the era really where drivers were regularly being killed in crashes. Mm. And it was because the FIA and the drivers and the teams worked so hard together, probably under his direction that made the cars now what, you know, the pinnacle of sort of safety because you know, it's very, 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 very rare for there to be a driver death. Whereas, you know, it used to be, you know, like we, you know, people like, if you look at Senna's death, like that was a, that could have been avoided if the safety stuff that was in place today. And like, then, you know, to respond and put in the halo after sort of repeated incidents where cars are flipping up into the air and like almost hitting drivers' heads or hitting drivers' heads. Like, you know, I think that takes real leadership to sort of, innovate in that area because you know probably wasn't always popular to do that but you know putting that first over over other things as well and taking it seriously as well i think yeah i think you're right i think he's a really uh important figure within formula one and it's a real it's a real shame that we don't have someone like him as a race director at the moment because i think formula one is crying out for consistency on and just really good stewarding and i think we at the moment it's sort of seems to be changing from weekend to weekend what level of stewarding we're going to get yeah, 100%. I think consistency and strength of character are probably... They're really underrated characters, mm. uh, underrated mm. qualities in, um, I guess, positions of power within Formula 1, I think. Um, but you, you were absolutely right. So all the safety stuff that he led, you know, after Senna's death in 94, and um, he obviously worked closely with a number of drivers, particularly on it. But um, it, even in the like, even in the 2000s and stuff, there was a quite a lot of opposition to some of the things he was... Um, he was suggesting so like side impact structures the drivers really didn't like and i do you know the little the, the, the bits that go on the back of the helmets that are sort oh, of yeah. clipped on those things he introduced those and the drivers were absolutely fundamentally opposed to them and he just said no sorry it's for your own good you'll get used to it and they all have and none of them will be without them now um and it's the exact same with the halo i mean you and i've talked about the halo before and think maybe there are other solutions we could potentially look at in sport like like they've done with indycar but um there's no denying it's been a success. It's definitely saved lives. I mean, Max parked his car on top of Lewis's head uh, in Italy a couple of years ago. Um, Joe Guanyu had that horrible crash at Silverstone that you were there for. Um, I don't think either of those incidents end up uh, the way they do without the halo being in place. So, mm. yeah, it's just stuff like that. I think like it, it takes a, as I say, it, it takes a really special kind of person, I think, to to follow through on their own force of will and do it in such a way that you don't totally piss everybody off and you bring people with you, I suppose. Like, because it wasn't like he just did those things and said to drivers, "Lump it." Um, like, he really took them like through the journey. Like himself, showed them the reasons why they wanted he wanted to do these things. Um, yeah, just a, a massive miss for the sport. And like, yeah, from a race director perspective, obviously we know he was replaced by Michael Massey. And throughout twenty twenty one, both you and I agree he did not have a very good season. I mean, he gets a a, a bit of sympathy in the shape of kind of 
we all know that 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 is now three people's jobs probably yeah. um but um charlie did it all himself and yeah with everything else as well it's just yeah a genuinely unique kind of person involved in the sport and um yeah very badly missed i think i was just just thinking then about the controversies that he must have been involved in yeah as the as the you know the race director you know you firstly had uh just two that spring to mind there's probably others but which you can correct me on or if i if point out that i've missed on but like you had spygate where was it miss mclaren yeah were found to have like openly spied on what ferrari were doing and you know the fia had to get really heavily involved with that and it went to the court of arbitration and i think they had to pay a massive fine yeah it was hundreds um, of millions wasn't it they paid yeah him. ridiculous and then you also had you know like the we mentioned it in the last episode when alonso uh, in the Singapore Grand Prix, he won the race, but Nelson Piquet Jr., uh, Nelson Piquet's son, deliberately caches the car in a part of the wall where they knew it would get a safety car, and they then they, they, it was all planned to then end, you know, basically like fix the race that Alonso could win, you know, and he he had to oversee all that and manage that for the FIA, and you know those those um those, just those two controversies, like the FIA comes across like as the referee as the you know the ruling uh, organization of the sport, they come across really well because they handled it really well. And probably because of the involvement of someone like him that knew the sport really well, that handled it really well. But then you think of what, you know, recent controversies I had in Formula One, you know, the mm. Abu Dhabi disaster and the whole fallout from that was because of the FIA itself, whereas it wasn't any, you know, I, I can't, you correct me if I'm wrong, but I can't remember anything in any sort of Charlie Whiting sort of time as race director where there was controversy about him and his and his and his reading of the rule. I know I know that's him and stuff, but like the FIA has definitely become a bigger target, and that's because of the mistakes it's made and been involved in more controversies because it doesn't have someone like Charlie Whiting, which I think shows you how impressive and strong he was that over such a long period of Formula One, he was you know spotless and he was so on it. Yeah, no, hundred percent. I couldn't agree more. I think, yeah, he's. He was just such a consistent. I think he, the main thing is he was such a consistent, uh, I guess, actor within the sport. I think like he just like a referee. He was a referee every weekend. You turn up and you knew what referee you were getting and how yep. they were going to referee the sport, and it yep. was fair and you trusted it. Whereas, you know, I think we look at the moment, the, the stewards still don't seem to be that. You know, they may have got rid of Michael Massey, but there's still not much um, consistency from weekend to weekend or you know from season to season. No, definitely not. Um... Yeah, it's it, it, it's it's just such a hard. It is hard to replace a person like that. I think, and like it's not. Yeah, you know, we can't absolutely like dump on the FIA every single time. But um, you do you do sort of. Yeah, you you would hope they could find other people like that. I suppose of like mm. it, rather than just recruiting people with a level of kind of expertise in the sport or expertise in motor racing, but you look for people with a similar level, like similar kind of character traits to Charlie, because obviously you're trying to replace him in some form or another and i don't know they've not it doesn't seem to me that they've really done that um and yeah i think a lot of a lot of like every, everything about racing a lot of it is about trust you have to like trust the guy you're racing with to like race fairly you've got to trust your team team other teams have to trust other teams not to cheat although that doesn't happen to <laughs> these days and i think charlie whiting's i guess presence did a lot of that like mm. there was a general level of trust in the sport and whenever there wasn't or or an issue or any issues arose he was always generally on the right side of the argument. Um, and it was never really him or the FIA that came up or came into so much criticism. I think his his presence really protected them from from a lot of that. Um, 
and that yeah they must be they must be wondering uh when they can have a quiet weekend now the FIA because it does feel like every every race weekend something happens mm. and and most most on most occasions I look at what's happened and I think would that have happened under Charlie Whiting I don't think so probably yeah. not um, and you'll hear people like Martin Brundle and Ted Kravitz and stuff. They'll reference him so every so often in the sport. Definitely, like whenever things tend to go wrong, someone mentions Charlie Whiting because it's a, like kind of like, yeah, this didn't used to happen sort of commentary. Hmm. Um, so yeah, he doesn't. Uh, he wasn't talked about a huge amount during the sport, and he hasn't really been talked about a huge amount really since probably well probably since Michael Massey, I guess, because there was an easy comparison to be drawn there. Um, and yeah, I think every so often it's good to remind ourselves that he was um, he was around and so involved in the sport because. Um, yeah, he was a really important part of what made the sport great for so long, I think. Yeah, I suppose he's one of those figures, like if you're new to Formula One, that you've probably heard reference to occasionally, but don't quite know about. But it's not like you can go back and watch his highlights or anything. He's just like, you have to go and read about accounts of what he was like as the race director to sort of understand and learn what he was like and what that meant and what Formula One was like as a sport like then. Because, you know, yes, the sport is significantly more popular now than it was, you know, five years ago. The, it was very well run, you know, under that period. And yes, this, the, sometimes the, con, the the racing wasn't the best contest, but it was very fair and and uh, yeah, just very well policed and refereed. And we, we don't, we've not had that really. And I think I think if you're a news one, it's important to know about people like Charlie Whiting because it's sort of the standard that we should be having. And you know, we could probably do an episode in itself of you know what what's going on with the FIA stewards because there's so many things we can point to at, late, at least over the last two three seasons of just so many errors or bad judgments they've made, which they shouldn't have done. Mm. Um, maybe, maybe that gives the opportunity to talk about 2021 in, in detail um, <laughs> because that was a, that was a thing in itself. Um, but, you know, I, you know, that that's always the bad thing for, I, th- I always find it like similar to like football when the decisions of like those that are refereeing or overseeing it become the talking point then something has gone horribly horribly wrong like whenever you watch a game of football and VAR is the main talking point they've had an absolute shocker for that to be the thing you come away from and, it's, and we've had that a couple of times this season with some of the, the FIA decisions and you know definitely in the last couple of seasons where we've walked away being like what on earth were the FIA doing like you know take for example Austria you know, they absolutely ruined that race by the ridiculous number of uh, track limit penalties that were just so badly enforced and it was you know there's sort of a drama in itself and it's, you know that's not that's not what you want from your referee or your officiating body yeah absolutely so in what is it in 12 races i'm just looking at the latifi tracker the fia in some form or another have been given five between us wow. Wow. and that's and, and bear in mind we don't off we don't award them on the same weekend so in five of 12 races the fia have been awarded a latifi for doing something mental or stupid yeah. or terrible yeah. And there's just there's just no there's just no way that would happen. <laughs> that would have happened like if Charlie was still here. It's and not possible. Did, can you remind me? Because I I don't remember the red flag going off that much under Charlie Whiting. Did it, or have I just kind of forgotten it? Because it feels like the red flag has reached to very quickly in Formula One, where you know yeah. the race just completely stops. I thought that was quite rare previously, because it feels like it's much more common. Is that am I? Am I misremembering that or is that correct i think that's right but i don't think it's a charlie whiting thing i think that's just the thresholds reduced a bit over right. the years so okay um sorry we're getting into really nerdy chat now but like <laughs> there are so there are a few factors um one obviously the kind of uh focus on safety in the sport since what happened to Jules bianchi um so poor poor racing conditions generally results in a red flag when an incident happens and also because the cars are all made of like 
razor sharp carbon fiber that comes off the car if you flick it rather than the old cars in the 80s that were like built pretty pretty sturdily and even in the 90s to be fair as well they could withstand a bit more than that um the bodywork at least now when an incident happens bits of you know hundreds of bits of car thrown thrown across the track and they have to red red flag the race because there's just no way for the steward safely to sweep it all up um so yeah there, there are a few factors but i don't i mean maybe there's a race direction thing there but i think it's more about um an enhanced view of kind of protecting the drivers and yeah, spectators. Maybe it's, maybe it's also used more frequently because it's easier to stop everything rather than like having the safety car go around. Okay, that's fair. Yeah, that's true. Like no one wants to see that either, do they? Like watching no. Formula One cars dawdle around the race and, and no, seeing and the lap count drop. Stuff. Yeah, yeah, and if they need rubbish. to respond to stuff as well. Yeah. So I think that concludes our chat on Charlie Whiting. We'll uh, we'll take a quick break and then after break, I'll reveal who I've picked. Hello, welcome back from the break. Hope you had a jolly old time. So in part one, we had Sam talking to you about his uh, unsung hero who he chose was Charlie Whiting. For mine, I've gone in a slightly different direction. Um, so I'll, I'll reveal who I've gone for. Drum roll, please. Thank you very much. I've gone for pit crews. I think they are very, very unsung heroes of Formula mm. 1. Um, you know, they they work really tirelessly behind the scenes. They get the car ready all weekend. They build the, you know, the whole paddock bit that they've got to work live in and work out of um and then have to put it away after a busy weekend but i think the key thing for them is they have to be really really good when it comes to race doing a pit stop because those sort of split split second decisions the precision uh, and that sort of teamwork is really really important to like execute a flawless pit stop Uh, and it can it can make or break a race we can come on to that you know what what, or some of the things that can go wrong at them as well Mm. and i think when you watch a pit stop usually when it goes really well you don't you just think oh they've done well there good stuff and you only really assess a lot of what's gone wrong or give praise you, yeah you only sort of like criticize them when they've gone wrong you don't really praise them you just think oh they're just doing their job but actually i think it's so so underappreciated what they do uh and it's so critical for that the whole team's performance so you know i'll take you through a pit stop you know you've got a car coming towards you at 60 miles per hour you know they look much slower on the tv but then that car is coming down that pit lane at a pace during a race, so it's high pressure. Then you know, the driver's got to dive in, make sure he gets stops in the in the box at the right exact same mark, so everyone's in the right position. You've then got one person who's got to you know hold the tire, and then another person with the gun, un, uh, you know, undoing the um, what do you call it, the um, nut, wheel nut, nut, wheel nut. and then lifting the, the person's got to lift that tire away, and then the person stood there with the other tire ready to go, got to lob it on. And then wheel nut back on, uh, and you know, any, you know, if you've got to tweak the front wing or anything like that, and then you've got to you know make sure everyone's had a seamless start, and then the car drives away. And you know, I think for a driver as well, they, they've got to play their part as well because they've got to make sure they hit those marks. They've also got to like be really on it when hitting the in hitting the brakes to stop like perfectly, and then being ready to go when you know they see the green light and they can go. And it is a shame that the lollipop man is gone because I did used to always enjoy the lollipop man that used to stood there over the car and then like lift it up and then send it. it was always very dramatic whereas the, the lights aren't as good um yeah then you know in a pick stop crew there's about 23 roles and then you know like i said they've got a real range of jobs to do um 
And, you know, it's it's a really important one, especially if you know you've got to change a front wing as well. It's got to be absolutely like critically like it could be flawless. The you can't you can't waste time there. And I think it's they become such an easy target when they take like three seconds. Um you know, I think the quickest one ever was Red Bull uh two, three years ago at the German Grand Prix. They did it in one point eight eight seconds. So to go sub two is crazy. I think they're the, they're the, they're the front runner this season. I think they're the only teams have gone sub two in their pit stops. And you think, oh, you go sub two seconds, it must be quite easy or straightforward. I think it's so hard mm-hmm. uh, to to shave that time, and think it takes so much practice as well. And I was just doing a bit of research. Apparently, before a season starts, a team will do about one thousand two hundred practice pit stops, and they just they do it so it makes it second nature. And apparently, at like you know, a team like Williams, they'll spend January and February just preparing they'll just that's all they'll do the team will be preparing for pit stops and they'll do loads through loads there and i saw a quite a good quote from someone at williams that's saying from going trying to like cut your time down from like three seconds to sub two is like going from division four or, or like you know league two to the premier league which is like a quite a big jump and you think you think you know it can't be that hard but actually it must be really really hard to find those find those marginal gains as well and apparently over a weekend they'll do you you, you would think you know, once you've done all that prep in pre-season you'll be fine but like when they get to a weekend they'll do so much prep so every they'll do 30 minute sessions throughout the weekend and they'll in those 30 minute sessions they'll do 50 stops and that's quite a lot of repetition mm. even in even like every weekend you know if you've got 23 races that's an incredible amount of practice you're getting in at, at circuit but also, I think what's quite challenging is, depending on the circuit, that can make it like really hard. So Singapore is the most humid, even in the evening. It's one of the most humid tracks on the grid. I think it's probably the highest one in uh, for humidity on the, on the calendar. And I think that makes it a real challenge having to like work and do that job at, at that high level of humidity. If you think when you go on holiday and it's hot, just getting off the plane and it's oh, you can feel the heat. And if you think you've got to then change a tire and be ready to change a tire in a high pressure situation. Wearing a load of overalls. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You'd be, I think, you'd be absolutely like sweating, sweat, sweating buckets. And then also, it's not just like you turn up and then you got to just do the wheels. I think you have to do quite a lot of like strength training as well and fitness training to be fit enough to do it because it's so like demanding. And I always enjoy it. You always sometimes see it. if you if you tune in early on the Sky coverage, you always watch the Ferrari pit crew do their sort of stretches, and they they're always the best ones. And if you if you go to a Formula One race and you're uh, you've got a view of the pit stop, you'd see that all the teams lined up sort of doing their own sort of workout stretching for before the race starts so i think that's quite quite entertaining as well um and there was a brilliant there's a brilliant series i think it was on channel four oh, a couple of years ago now but it was guy martin um who is quite an eccentric sort of character but he went to be part of the williams like pit crew and he got to be a part of them like the training of it and he, all his job was taking the wheel off and on again and he really struggled with it. And he's like in really, in, you know, I think it's like a um, Isle of Man TT, like motorbike rider. He really struggled and he had to be like really on it because everyone's sort of reliant on you being in the exact right place and to do it in the speed as well. And then I think he was at this Belgian Grand Prix. They let him do it in one of the, in the practice sessions. And then I think he also did it in the race as well. And so it's quite, it's quite, quite I would recommend if you want to learn, see what it's like to be uh, in a pit stop crew. It's a good, it's a good sort of, illustration of how hard it is and the training that goes into prepare for it as well with uh and he, you know with williams are very good at sort of training him up as well mm. and i suppose with with um pit stops is they can go horribly wrong 
Um, you know, we've seen it before where wheel nuts haven't got on properly, so then wheels have rolled off, or the, you know the, the kit has failed, so then they can't. They're really struggling to get the tire off. So then people are losing. You know, the driver's losing numerous places in the race because it's you know a two minute a two second stop is taking you know 10 15 seconds um or we've seen it you know they put the wrong tires on we've had that before haven't we where one team put i think that happened to lewis didn't it not that long ago they put bottas's tires on his car or something yeah 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 or i think we saw it once was it Haas where they put they had four tires and they put three of the same ones on one of a different compound on um or you've seen it where they they they're not ready for them so they're, they're still getting the tires out of the blankets ready for them to go on yeah. um yeah i think and also you know when we used to have refueling that added an extra complexity because sometimes if that refueling didn't go to plan that could set a light and you've seen pit crews being yep. set on fire we've also seen you know pit crew members being taken out whereas the drivers have kind of misjudged it i think it was a ferrari mechanic a couple of years ago with raikkonen accidentally ran over and he broke his ankle or something ridiculous something like yep. horrendous like that um you've seen it where you know they've nearly hit other cars as well in the pit lane so they've always been taken out as well um yeah mm-hmm. i just think being a pit crew must be a really hard job and especially as like you having to travel around the world it must be absolutely knackering and then having to be really on it and you know it's not like you turn up and have a jolly you've got to be really on it throughout the whole weekend to get as much repetition as possible yeah definitely it's funny you mentioned um uh fuel fuel things i think it i think i'm right in saying this so max's dad jos verstappen was one of those mm-hmm. unfortunate ones whose uh, car went up um there's a famous photo of him jumping out of the flames yes not good at all but um yeah as much safety as it, i mean the unsafe release i suppose is the the one that gets referenced quite regularly doesn't mm-hmm. it these days um because again the person who decides when the car can leave after the pit stop's got a really critical job uh obviously to not waste any of the drivers or the team's time but also to release the car in such a way that they're not doing it dangerously um that's one that's quite heavily scrutinized but um yeah they are amazing i mean never mind the kind of physical stuff like the fitness you know, of them it's it, it is it looks unbelievably difficult um you have to be hugely like really fit to do it so huge respect for that but i think also like it's underrated quite how much wheel knowledge is kicking around pit crews as well like the things that they help with inside the garage that aren't just doing the pit stops like help helping helping with them helping them with the mechanical setup of the car yeah, yeah. and particularly also when people like sergio perez bin the car rebuilding the car very very quickly behind overnight Oh yeah, to get the car ready and stuff like those. Those are really tough, tough jobs, and you have to understand the car, understand how it works, understand the mechanics as well to help with all of that. Um, yeah, they're they are really like mission critical people within a within a Formula One team. But as you say, they don't really get talked about too much because drivers and team principals and whatever else end up always dominating the dominating the airwaves. So um, yeah, nice that they've been referenced. Yeah, very good, a very good selection. I think as well, like. It must be a really satisfying feeling if you're part of a team that's won. Yeah. Because you've played you can really point to your partner like because of my pit stop that I played a part of, like we got the car in out as quick as possible and that you know, that pit stop was crucial for them taking the lead or whatever. Like that must be such a nice sort of moment to be part of a team when you're winning because you're contributing to that and you can so tangible um as well. And yeah, I, I don't know if you've ever been to like some, like sometimes a full on circus they have it or like it like motorsport stuff. They have those things where you can like do the t- change the tire challenge, and it's funny watching those because it's you know you do really see the difference between you know at the level that they're doing because you you know if me you and a, and a friend did it 
I think we'd probably be lucky if we did it within like eight seconds, whereas they, they can do it within what, two, three seconds. And and that's yeah. that's four tires at the same time. And I think I think someone said by the t- by the time the car stops and the wheel has changed, like it the the tires the car has actually stopped for like you know, I know it's less than a second, but actually if you if you timed it and you you watched it with a stopwatch, it'd be crazy. The car is actually very still for a very very short amount of time. And I think sometimes on TV you think it looks longer than it is. Um, and I think you said this as well. Like the uh, they do look very cool when they drive away from the pit box. It's like the, the shot on uh, Drive to Survive. It's a very good shot, isn't it? Oh, the overhead. Yeah, I love that. I love that camera shot because um, you can just see it all happen. It's like poetry in motion. You get to see all four wheels, all everybody working on the car all at the same time. Car comes in, car goes up, boom, car goes out. And it's just, it's like watching, um, you know, well, you'll, you'll appreciate this as someone who's uh, performed in theatre and things. Yes. You know, when they like change change the set really quickly between scenes and stuff and you just see like a flurry of movement and like the scene changes in an instant and you're always like oh it's amazing it's kind of like watching that but like sped up yeah um it's yeah, really it's it is really impressive um, oh, that's a very good analogy because i was going to say to take that a step further if you watch like you know as long as you watch amateur dramatics and they don't practice it very often. You're like, oh, bloody hell, it's taking them ages here. Oh, we're watching this. Oh, it's cost them so much time. Oh, we're losing it. Um, yeah. <laughs> Johnny with the trees taking like 20 yeah. seconds to bring it out onto set. Oh, he's carrying the bed as he by himself. Oh, what a, what a mare he's having. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah, no, amazing. They are really good. Um, I've not seen that series. I think I remember, oh, maybe I saw, maybe I maybe saw an episode or something of it, but didn't watch it all. But yeah, I'll, I'll go back and watch it for well, sure. It sounds I've good. Just, I've just given it a Google. Yeah, and I've uh, it's on YouTube. Oh, so perfect! Forty-seven okay. minutes, and he's apparently he's the first ever outsider to work in a Formula One pit crew in a weekend. Wow. And there's also there's also uh, uh, a series here which I also didn't know existed, but there's Guy Martin versus Jensen Button from a couple of years ago. And I think they have a bit of a challenge against each other, so uh, that might be quite good as well so there's two two bit of tv watching there for you if you want to go and watch youtube but i think i might rewatch that guy marching uh pit crew one because just i remember remember it being fascinating as well and i'm you know big fan of the, uh, the pit crews mm, very good what would you what would you what would your role be do you think in a pit Ooh, crew if you good, had to pick one good question good question um ah oh, so if if the lollipop man was still there i'd be him because you get to wave in the car you know that pull them in i think that'd be really cool and then do the jurassic reveal yeah um I I probably maybe a wheel gun. I think that'd yeah. be quite good being a wheel gun because you just got to you know shoot forward, shoot out, and you know if the wheel gun breaks, that's not your fault. That's the, the wheel gun. I think carrying the tires is actually take them on or off is actually very hard work because mm-hmm. they are quite heavy. Um, and I don't think I'd want to be one of the people that like has to lift the car up onto a jack. I think that'd be quite stressful as well because that's what happened with uh the chap with the Riker and he was the one that got run over, wasn't he? Because he was the jack and rifling cocks it up and like yeah. stores as well he's he's cocked up and he's hit someone before in the past as well yeah it's uh, easily done there are some pit lanes where it's really tight and, and you see yeah. these days on every pit lane because the cars as we always say on this podcast are too big um but when they leave their pit box the team that's adjacent to them just up the pit lane always has to hold all of their like power mm. and cables and stuff out of the way to let them to make sure they get out without um getting entangled or anything like that mm-hmm. is kind of crackers i'd probably i think i'd probably pick the front jack just because i reckon i could just have some fun in that like 1.5 seconds or whatever 
all that one how, second. How would you have? How would you have fun? You jack the car up, that. and then you just like do some do some charades for Raikkonen or whoever it is sat in the you'd cockpit waiting to that, go. You'd be doing that, and you'd get absolutely like you'd be dicking around, and they'd be like, and you just see them wave <laughs> the driver like waving their hands at you. Yeah, oh, I feel like I feel like you know if that if you were Verstappen's front jackman and you start doing that, I feel like he'd get out of the car and thump you. I wouldn't last long, would I? He just no. ran me over. I mean, <laughs> until I get out of the way. That would be very funny to just watch a, a, someone just taking the absolute mick. Uh, but, you know, you would think in two seconds you can lift it up and then, like, do a quick mind. What, what would you? What would your less than one second mind be? Oh, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, I think a full-blown kind of charades clue is going to be difficult. <laughs> Three words, a film. <laughs> <laughs> I, do, I, do, I do that. So you're doing the, the film, film camera thing, then I do that. Driving. And then I'd say three, three words. And, uh, and yeah, see, Fast and Furious would be one, or I'd you know, drive to survive for oh. all the drivers. Maybe they maybe they get yeah. it. I'd know that's, if they'd got it on the radio. That's a TV series. They're not a film. If I was being to nitpick, you know, or maybe nitpick. if we if we're being really picky, maybe we could make pit stops such a thing. So like, change have a game it. of charades. Exactly. So <laughs> yeah. you, the driver has to get the charade over the radio. Has to get the clues and get guess correctly before they can leave the pit lane. <laughs> don't give don't give the FIA any any ideas. <laughs> In, in the in the sense for uh, in the hope for a uh, you know more insane. I mean, it's interesting because like in a uh, Le Mans, like a pit stop in Le Mans, that's, they have to change the driver and they have to change the driver's seat. So at mm. least they don't have that complexity in Formula One. But still, they are very very like high tense, make or break for a race. And you know, it can especially if you're, if you're a driver trying to go for the undercar. I think that's even more important because you're coming in early, yeah. and if you absolutely nail it, and then as the driver then goes out and absolutely flies it out, and then close up back that time you know you could you win a race from that and i think um you know that, that's such a valuable sort of strategic tool to have and I, I you know i play it on the formula one game and it's always a bit meh like watching it whereas they could you know they could make a bit more fun in the formula one game mm. uh, to make it more fun i should just give you an update on the formula one game go on so you know the last time i told you i moved to ferrari right and i was saying i was still struggling with difficulty mm-hmm. um i've got five races to go and I'm 29 points away from the World Championship, which feels like the start of the, to start of the season in Williams mm. and to be halfway through the season, to be 29 points away from the championship with five races to go. feels like I've definitely got the difficulty slightly wrong. But it's one so of you, annoying... you, you switched from Williams to Ferrari midway through the season, did you? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm. I, had, I had the pick of the teams. I went for Ferrari, which moves a bit. Maybe I should have gone for a bit, someone a bit midfield than uh, at the front. But then... You know, they're not particularly great. Who's your teammate? Charles. Okay. Yeah. But then Good. at the end of the season, do I go to Mercedes and replace like Lewis or George? No, or do I go stay, or... stay at Ferrari, win the championship with Ferrari. But I might do that this season. Yeah, well, okay. If you win the championship this season, then yeah, feel free to make a move. Uh, uh, speaking as your four yeah, F one twenty three manager. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> this is what I need this is what I need. But it's 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 a great game, but um my only criticism of it is that like from circuit to circuit, the difficulty really varies. Mm. So you think, right, oh, because the difficulty scale as well is between, you just pick a figure between like 0 and 110. Right. And so you think, right, oh, I'm 63. And then you go to the next week, the weekend. And on that difficulty, you'll get absolutely hammered. And like, you'll know, have everyone queuing up behind you or being absolutely lapped and everything. It's, it's just not fun at all. Mm. Then the weekend after it, you'll be winning by like a second or two seconds. You're like, well, this is too easy. So, um, yeah, but yeah, I'll keep you posted. I'll let you know if they win the championship. Right. I feel like almost I should, like I should almost like crash just to uh, just to make it a bit more exciting. 
Well, you're not, but you're not twenty-two points clear, are you? You're twenty-two points no. behind someone. Yeah, twenty-nine points Max, behind. I assume. Uh, no, I think that's actually between Lewis and Charles at the top. Really? Yeah. Wow. I'll, I'll, you know what? Next time I go on it, I'll send you the standings of yeah. where everyone is, and then I'll tell you, I'll show you my season results as well because I've had a couple of DNFs. But you know, to to be in a championship battle with points from Williams is not bad going, and that's hope. That's hope. That's that's hope. That's things to come for uh, for Williams in a couple of seasons. Maybe that's Alex Albon's future. Yeah, yeah, thanks, being played out on the on your PS5, is it? Have you got PS? Yeah, it's yeah, PS5, yeah, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Very good. Um, right, do you want to say any more on pit crews, or should we move on to predictions? Let's move on to predictions. Okay, well, we're back. Formula One is back, so race, Woo-hoo. race, race at the weekend. Uh, so we're back in the predictions chair. So just to remind uh, you slash everybody, uh, we are doing our predictions game throughout the season. So we are each assigned randomly, according to my fun random number generator on my phone, three drivers every weekend where we will predict their final classification finishing position. Uh, that's not without controversy this season because there's been some pretty dodgy classifications going on with track <laughs> limits in Australia and God knows what else. Um, but we've, we've muddled through and... Um, Every weekend, yeah, we we pick the final uh, classification and then you are awarded a point for every position away from that selection uh, that your driver finishes. Um, So points are bad, basically. And last weekend, I got the gap down to 14 from 20, largely thanks to Oscar Piastri and Carlos Sainz having a little ding-dong and crashing into each other at the first corner at Spa. Still not over that. No, well, it sort of it it sort of served me better than you, but only because Ferrari were mental and kept the car running for ages, didn't they? And then they finally retired the car, so he finished nineteenth instead of twentieth. So yeah. I made up a point there, which was good. Uh, I also got l- lucked out and had Max Verstappen last week. I uh, say last week, last race. Um, and anybody who predicts him anywhere to finish other than first is just a fool at the moment. Um, but you did quite well, to be fair. I mean, you had Hamilton, you won out with him, six out with Albon. I was 13 out with Science because of the aforementioned incident with uh, Piastri. And then I had Sergeant and I was three out with him. So, yeah, it was it was a very high-scoring week. So between us, <laughs> between us, we scored 38 points. Wow. That's, compared, uh... to the, compared to the weekend before, where it was 19. Okay. Uh, I'm going to try. I'll just have a little. Okay, so at Austria, it was nine between us. Wow. Yeah, um, we, were, we were on it that weekend. Yeah, that's the lowest. Oh no, we had nine at Monaco as well, and yeah, nine. Oh no, and seven. Oh no, 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 it's, no, seven for one of us. So yeah, nine is the lowest between us so okay. far, and yeah, thirty-eight well, we, last week, last time. And we've yet to have either of us get it absolutely spot on for all three drivers. No, no, I that's, don't think that's it, gonna be that's gonna be a big weekend when that happens. Yeah. So what's the closest we've got? Um, let's have a look. So you got three in Miami. Oh. I got three in Monaco. Uh, let's keep going. Oh, I got oh, I got one in Austria. Wow. Yeah, wow. I got Science finishing sixth, Checker finishing third, and then Joe Guan Yu finished twelfth instead of thirteenth. Oh. Uh, so I've got the closest, I think. You got four in in the British Grand Prix, and then yeah, so I'm I was the closest one. Okay. So, so still, still, that that that'd be a big that'd be a big one. Maybe maybe we should do a thing like we, we can just we have a thing about this, but maybe you do a thing like. If you get a perfect weekend, you get like five taken off your overall score or something like that. I oh, know. I was going to say it wipes your score. No, not wipe. <laughs> no, because imagine no. if I, how would that how would that work with me? You'd be have like if you wipe my score. If I got a perfect weekend and I've got a fourteen point lead, I'd then have a massive lead. 
Yeah, you would. Yeah, you would. Yeah, but that's that's no. the benefit of getting the perfect score. No, maybe like maybe like a five. Yeah, extra five taken off. All right. Well, we'll treat we'll treat this season as a bit of a test anyway. If one of us actually goes and predicts it, then we know it's semi possible, I suppose, yeah, yeah. and think about next for next season because we'll be yeah. doing this again next season for sure. Uh, all right. Would you like to know who you've got? Go on, hit it's quite me. Quite interesting draw, actually. We've, there are no Ferraris, so okay. no strategy bands, and no Red Bulls, so oh, no, no high no, performance no, guaranteed. No certain, uh, no certain zeros. No, so we've both got quite a good mixed bag, I think. I, think, I don't know if we'll break the 38 record, but we might. Um, right, so first of all, you got uh, number 18, which is Kevin Magnussen. I'm going to go 15th. Okay. Then you got Bay, New Bay, number 11, Oscar Piastri. Oh, you're new to fave. You, got, go... you had last time, and he cost you 15 points. Oh, yeah. I'm going to go seventh. Okay, seventh. I feel that covers me quite well, seventh. Yeah. Yeah, you're not going to get more than five, probably. Yeah. I would have thought for him for that one. Unless he comes unless he comes last again. Unless he has a crash, yeah. Uh, and then you've got number 16, Joe Guanyu. Oh, what a horrible pick. Um, what, the, what position did I say uh, Magnuson was? 15th. I'm going to go 14th. That's, that's what I would have picked as well. Okay. Mm, that's not... Mm, that's a, bit that's a tough that trio. Was. So I yeah. got Pierre Gasly. Pierre Gasly! Pierre Gasly! Uh, of Alpine, who we did a special episode about recently. So if you're interested in Alpine or just Bants in general, feel free to have a listen because they are quite funny. Uh, I, I'm i going to go with 12th, I think, for Pierre Gasly. Nice. Just outside the points. Um then I that. got uh, car number four, his goatedness, Lewis Hamilton. Oh, his goatedness. Um, car number four, car number 44. Uh, oh, I don't know. I don't think he's going to get on the podium. He's going to win. <laughs> Could you imagine if Hamilton goes to the Dutch in, Grand Prix? In beat? Max's own backyard. <laughs> I, there should be some side wager on that. Uh, I'll go fourth. I don't think he'll make the podium, but I think he'll have a good weekend. Nice. Um and then I got uh, number twenty, Daniel Ricciardo. Ooh, would have been Nick DeVries. Um Yet to score a point, Daniel Ricciardo. And I don't think Zandvoort's going to be the place to. Oh, will it? AlphaTauri is pretty garbage. But there are some teams that aren't great at slow race, slow circuits like Alpha and Haas. Hmm. I'm going to go 14th for Ricardo. So I think we've got it lined up that me and you both put Zhao as Gojangju, sorry, as yeah. 14th, Magnuson 15th, and Gasly 12th. Yeah, and I've got nice. Ricardo 14th as well. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, we're we're in a real like lower midfield battle. The only interest we've got is that's interesting. Piastri 7th, you see. I'm now looking at that, thinking mm, McLaren are really good. Maybe. Could I see Piastri finishing above Hamilton? Maybe. Mm, Maybe. I don't know. It depends what it depends which McLaren turn up. And yeah. can can I just check? Do you, are you also predicting another Max win? <laughs> what do you think? Yeah. Of course, the, the fan well, event. Well, fine. Maybe the more the harder thing to predict is uh, will Checo be number two or number three on the podium? Um, is there anyone that can beat a Red Bull at Zandvoort? I feel like only a McLaren. Ferrari aren't very good. Slow, so slow speed. Mercedes, oh, who knows? They're a bit of a flip, flip a coin kind of mm. team, aren't they? Each weekend, 
no doubt they'll start terribly on Friday and improve throughout the weekend, and then they'll actually have quite a good race car on Sunday, but still finish 30 seconds behind Max. Um, what an optimist. McLaren, Aston Martin, maybe they'll have managed to sort themselves out. No, I, I think it probably will be a Red Bull one too, yeah. sadly. Unless unless Checo has just absolutely lost himself and is, you know, he's, he's used a summer break to just fret more about his position and his confidence and he just, you know, he's just further away and he's just... He's just been eating quesadillas all summer. Yeah, and... yeah, drinking Corona. <laughs> Doesn't care anymore. Yeah. Uh, no, that feels unlikely. I mean, it's not a great circuit for Checo, so it's possible. But I just think over race distance that red bull is so fast and if he if he manages to like continue his sparkling qualifying form of one one race weekend where he's managed to get into q3 for the last like six races um if he gets into q3 and qualifies anywhere above like sixth i fancy him to finish second probably so i feel like it's only mclaren potentially that might finish above him one of them yeah Interesting. Okay. All right. Yeah. Well, be good to have a good to have a race to talk about again. Yes. Yes. So we'll look forward to the next uh, podcast where we get to dissect whatever's happened at the Max Verstappen fan event. <laughs> uh, is it? Is there any kind of record he could break or any records up for grabs he could break? Um, the... Does he match or does he break the Vettel consecutive number of wins? He's nine, isn't it? I don't I think know he might be breaking it. Is this his tenth consecutive win? It could be. Oh, yeah. how de- how depressing that is. 10 consecutive yeah. wins and it could and it could be it could get you know it could go on for much longer yeah well they're, they're on 22 of 23 now aren't they race wins yeah um, but how many he could go on a, you know win the next like further five he could he could end up having the record for 15 consecutive race wins he could oh that's so depressing <laughs> i actually you know, i actually had a quick um just because I, th- I was interested in it i thought i'd go back and look at the 88 season and try and, try and see what race McLaren didn't win because you know there was one race oh, yeah, that yeah. season they didn't yeah. win, and the reason they didn't win it one, uh, Alan Prost's engine blew up, uh, right. and then two, Senna. I think it was the right this way around, one of them anyway. But I think pretty sure it was Senna that was leading the race, and he crashed the car with two laps to go. Oh wow! <laughs> and it was miles ahead, obviously. Um, so, so what you're saying is we need um, Max Verstappen to get so complacent he bins the car with two laps to go. Yeah, oh, it doesn't feel likely, does it? Do you want just to end on a? I, I've got a good. My dad told me this today, um, a good Max Verstappen story. Mm-hmm. Apparently, you know, it's quite well known that his dad was quite tough on him. Quite yes. hard, you know, dad. And I think he was obviously very competitive and that. Apparently, when Max was younger, there was a weekend where Max hadn't, hadn't driven very well. Like, this is when he's a kid. Um, and so his dad drops him off at the, the petrol station, told him to walk home. And he walk, and he gets, his dad gets home, Joss. And then Max comes through the door like much earlier than he expected him to because he told, you know asked him to sort of walk home and reflect on it and he asked him what happened he said oh some chap saw me and maybe you know gave me a lift home so his dad says right get back in the car dropped him off made him walk do the walk again yeah I, d- I did know that story yeah it's brutal yeah. isn't it yeah uh, i didn't know that but um interesting to learn more about his background but yeah that's less on yeah psychology. I, just it- thought, I thought i'd throw that, that little fact i found in today but you knew it already, so uh, let, let let there be no doubt. Jos Verstappen's a piece of work, and you won't you you know your dream is to get your daughter to be into Formula One. You won't be applying those sort of methods. <laughs> no, no <laughs> definitely not. The opposite. Yeah, quite the opposite. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. God, terrible. Yeah. I mean, I'm saying nothing about parenting. Mine's only 14 months old, so 
got a long way to go. Maybe wait till she gets to a, a teens. Maybe I'll be like dropping her off and leaving her to walk. I won't be doing that. <laughs> she'll be a champion. Really or she'll on course to be a champion then. Yeah, so she'll be. She'll probably be driving me home. <laughs> most likely. <laughs> um, all right, that brings us to the end of the podcast. Thanks very much for joining us. Remember to subscribe and leave a review on your podcast platform of choice. If you enjoyed it, please share it with a friend. Hopefully they enjoy it more than I would enjoy being a member of a pit crew at a sweaty Singapore Grand Prix weekend. Grim. It does, yeah, yeah, it doesn't look too much fun, does it? It's the fact that they have to wear masks and stuff as well. I just think, mm. oh, it must be so sweaty in there. Um, uh, follow us on Twitter at Lights Out Lads. And yes, as Will mentioned, our Instagram is booming. Uh, give us a follow in there on at the Lights Out Pod. Uh, Will, we have a race. We say a race. It's a fan event. Uh, there'll be lots of orange. There'll be lots of smoke. But it'll be a very pretty seaside. We can at least enjoy that bit. Yeah. And we'll see Formula One racing. So hopefully it'll be yeah. something exciting apart from Red Bull winning a race happens. Yeah. And with that, that's all from us. All the best. And goodbye. Bye bye. <laughs>